Okay, good evening. Uh, our yearly journey through the Machzor. Every year, um, over the last couple of years, we've taken a paragraph or two for Rosh Hashanah, for Yom Kippur, to really just focus on. The Machzor is so rich with themes and ideas and inspiration for these, uh, these days. It's also unfamiliar. So it's worth spending, uh, every year we spend a different amount of time on a, a different paragraph. This year is uh, a little different. Normally what we do is we take something that's not so common, that's unusual or unfamiliar, and highlight it. Uh, this year's paragraph, Unisana Tokev, is probably the most familiar, the most famous uh, of all the paragraphs. We actually read it in the main shul out loud in English every year. So we are familiar with it to a certain degree, but it has really a lot to offer us from that which we would expect, and even from aspects that we may not expect. So what I'd like to do is learn through these. It's two paragraphs, two large paragraphs, um, as well as with a very famous story that goes along with this particular uh, paragraph. But as an introduction to that, let's just sort of take a step back. One of the themes of Rosh Hashanah that I know we speak about every year is the complexity of Rosh Hashanah. Most days, holidays within the Jewish calendar the emotional experience of the Jew going through the day might be hard to achieve, but it's clear what we're supposed to do. Each day has its theme, whether it be the joy of Purim, Hanukkah, the freedom of Pesach, the giving of the Torah and Shavuos, Yom Kippur is austere, it's a fast day, it's serious, it's solemn the whole way through. Whatever the day is, Again, whether it's easy to achieve it or not, and some of the days are complex themselves, but that whatever the complexity of the day is, the multifaceted themes of the day, it remains throughout the day the same multifaceted theme that you're trying to achieve. Rosh Hashanah seems to me to be unique on the calendar in which it's an emotional yo-yo over the course of the day. It's complicated is just to, what are we supposed to be experiencing? And there are two, would seem like diametrically opposed experiences that we have on Rosh Hashanah. On the one hand, Rosh Hashanah is a day in which we crown Hashem as king over ourselves and over the world. And, in, and the experience of a coronation is a joyous day. It's a day of celebration. It's a yantiv. It's a day to be happy. It's a day to celebrate. And we see this in numerous different uh, themes. If you, uh, this, the short source sheets that you have, uh, we'll just go most of them through very quickly, but just to have um, the Gemara, source number one, the Gemara Masechus Rosh Hashanah very famously says, Imru lefanai b'Rosh Hashanah malchios zichronos v'shofros. That we should say, before Hashem on Rosh Hashanah, these three are malchios zichronos, malchios k'deshet ham l'chuni aleichem. Should make me your king. That's what, at the end of the day, the most central theme of what's going on on Rosh Hashanah is that one word, malchios. It's the day of declaring Hashem as king of the world. The, the commentators point out the tradition that we have that we, we say it in the Machzor, Ze yom tchilas ma'asecha. This is the beginning of your handiwork. The world was created on Rosh Hashanah, we say, which is not really totally true. It's not that the world was created on Rosh Hashanah. The tradition is the world was created on the 25th of Elul. Man was created on Rosh Hashanah. And because the day of Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of mankind, mankind's role, task, goal in the world is Shittam Luchuni Aleichem, that we should make Hashem the king over us. And therefore this day is the day of declaring Hashem to be uh, our, part, our king over us. And that's a joyous day. The Navi, in fact, in Sefer Nechemia, describing when the Jews returned after the first exile, 
so there was a period in which they were uh, in, in the dark, so to speak, about a number of uh, concepts and mitzvahs, and the Navi describes uh, how they were gathered together by Nehemiah and Ezra, and... Uh, and uh, it was Rosh Hashanah, the Navi describes, in Perk Ches, in Sefer Nehemiah. And the people were crying. People were sad, and they had just discovered uh, what they had not been doing, and that the, today was the day of, in fact, Rosh Hashanah. And they were crying, literally. And the Navi says, No, 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 no. Hayom Kadoshu Hashem, in source number two. Today is a holy day to Hashem. Altis Ablu Vialtivku. It's not a day of mourning, and it's not a day of crying. As the Navi says, because the people were crying when they heard the words of the Torah. But instead, in Pasuk Yud, the Navi says, Luchu, Echlu, Mishmanim, Ushesu, Mamtakim. Go and eat rich foods and drink beautiful, delicious drinks. Peshilchu, Manos, Le'enachos, send to make sure everybody has. Ki Kadosh, Hayom, La'adoneinu. Today is a sanctified day. Al Te'atzvu, Ki Chedvas Hashem, Hi Ma'uzchem. Today is a day of great Rejoicing and the enjoyment of Hashem is your strength. It's a day of celebration. This is what we do. It's a yantif. It's a yantif meal. That is the one aspect of Rosh Hashanah. We eat the simanim, we have family over, holiday meals. And we all know what the environment is like when we have a holiday meal, when we have the family over. It's yantif. And it's supposed to be yantif. And we enjoy, and we have good food, and it's challah with raisins and honey, apples and honey, and the siman. It's, it's yantif. That's one part of the day. But then Rosh Hashanah has this other aspect, which is completely the opposite of a day of joy, a day of celebration, a day of coronation, and that is a day of judgment. It's a Yom Adin. It's a day, who will not be recalled, who will not be judged on such a day. And when you have a day of judgment... As the Gemara very famously says, the books of life, the books of death, the Sifrei Chayim, the Sifrei Mesim, Suchim Lefanov, are opened before Hashem, and you tremble when the books of life and the books of death are open. It's nice to say it should be a yantiv and apples and honey and all sweetness and party and celebrations and family, and then, and then the books are open, and it's serious. And that creates a very complicated dynamic. That, that source comes from uh, the Gemara Mesachas Rosh Hashanah, source number three, also an oft-quoted Gemara. There are actually three books that are open before Hashem on Rosh Hashanah. One of the Rishoyim Gemurim, the entirely wicked. One of the Tzadikim Gemurim, the entirely righteous. And of all the rest of us, the Beinunim, in those in between. And the, and the Gemara says, the Tzadikim are right away written and sealed for life. The Rishayim are right away written and sealed for death. And the Benunim, their judgment hinges to see how they do between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then it's sealed finally on Yom Kippur, which is again all part of the themes as we'll read about in the Nisana Tok of this idea. But Rosh Hashanah, Yikasevun, will be written on Rosh Hashanah and sealed on Yom Kippur. How do we do in the days in between? Leaving aside the question which has to be asked, what does it mean that the holy righteous are written right away for life and the holy uh, wicked are for death? Every wicked person dies every year. It doesn't, can't be. 
that, that every righteous person eventually dies, and the wicked seem to live many, many years. So that's a separate question on the Gemara, what exactly does it mean, written and sealed immediately for life, and written and sealed immediately for death, but that's not our topic for tonight. Our topic for tonight is just picking up on the idea, the books of life and death are open before Hashem, and we take it seriously uh, because of that. It creates a certain amount of dread, certainly, um, uh, in, in the day. And this is, this is part of the Machzor in the section of Zichronos. So the opening source we started with are the three themes of Rosh Hashanah. Malchios, Zichronos, Shofra. Zichronos are the remembrances. The Machzor says in, in source number five, Al Hamedinos Bo Yeyomer, on all of the countries it said, Ezo Shalom, who will be judged for sword, meaning for war, who will be judged for peace, Ezo Larav, Ezo Lasova, who will have famine, who will have abundance, Ubrios bo yipakte, we say in, in the yipakedu, uh, in the machzer. And individuals are also uh, remembered and brought to mind on this day. Lahaskiram l'chaim v'lamavis. For life and death they're remembered. Milo nifkad kayom Who's not recalled on this day? Because the zecher kol ayitzur l'fanecha ba. The remembrance of all that has been created and formed comes before you. Each person's me- uh, actions, their thoughts, their schemes, their plans, everything comes up. That's what we say in Zichronos, which creates this dynamic of, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you go to shul and it's, it's, it's awe and dread and fear and life and death, and then you go home and you have a celebration, you have a yantiv, it's a yantiv meal. And Rosh Hashanah is very complicated because of those two themes of, of understanding as we go through the day, the different ideas. Which one did the sages focus on more? in the machzor that they gave us. These two themes, the day of celebration, of coronation, of malchus, or the dread, the fear of the, the books of life and death open before it. Which one gets more attention in the machzor? So you have to guess which one? Which one, the dread, you think? I don't think so. The machzor itself is if you read through the machzor that Chazal gave us, the Shemona Esrei and the Tefillahs that we have, are much more, we have Zichronos, the paragraph that we read, it's one paragraph in Musaf that talks about this, almost everything else over the course of the day, with the notable exception, of course, of Unisan and Tarkov, which we'll get to, focuses on Malchus, and how the whole world will come to recognize your kingship, and they'll be brought to perfection, and the world to come, it's going to happen. That is... Out of the, the, the liturgy that we have in the Machzor, for sure, I would, I would think, plays a much greater role in, uh, in the day. The Gemara actually says the dread prevents us from saying hollow. The Gemara asks, why don't we say, the, the Gemara is a fascinating Gemara, the Malachim, the Gemara says, it's source number four, if you want to see it inside. The Gemara says, the Malachim... The, the angels asked Hashem, Every yontiv, we say Hallel. We sing Shira. And the Malachim ask, How come they don't today? What's with your children down there? No one's singing Shira. Why not? Why is today different than every other yontiv? And Hashem says, uh, is it possible that the king sits on his throne of justice and judgment? And they should sing Shira. How can they sing song at uh, the day the books of life and death are open? We understand, meaning the Gemara doesn't say we ask this, Kasha. We understand you tremble a little bit. 
But the Malachim are just coronating Hashem. It's, a, it's an amazing day. How come they're not singing? Hashem says they can't sing. This is how we sort of, we temper the, the dread, the din, the judgment, together with the coronation, and so we don't sing Shira. Yeah, you have to hold back a little bit. After all, the Sifrei Chaim and Sifrei Mesim are open, so we don't sing Shira. But Unisana Tokev takes us to the other side. Unisana Tokev, which we'll now read inside, in this context of this day of complexity, is just straight up fear and taking the day and understanding its uh, significance. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the Unisana uh, Tokev. We're familiar with it, but let's learn it. Let's learn what it says. It's uh, source number six on your sheets. Uh, let's go through it together and pick out some of the, uh, the themes that we have. We, we have to give power. Give power to the holiness of the day, for it is, it is nora v'ayom. The yomim nora. This is where the, the ideas come up. We call these days the yomim nora, the days of awe, of fear. And it's on this day that your kingship will be exalted, your throne will be established. And you will sit upon your throne with in truth. Now right away, we have the first theme that we have here in Rusan and Tokef is the theme of Malchus. We start right away. It's the day of Your kingship will be established. It is true that you are the one who judges, who reproves, who knows all and bears witness, who inscribes and seals, reckons and enumerates. You know all of that. And you remember all that is forgotten. We forget things. We forget things that we did 10 minutes ago. We forget. You remember everything that is forgotten. The theme, of course, of Zichronos. You're going to open up the book of, of remembrances and from it it all shall be read and v'chosem yad kol adam bo. Each person has his own signature on everything that's written in there because we did it ourselves. There's no denying the testimony. We, our actions are what's written in the book. V'shofar gadol yitaka. Then we have the third theme of Rosh Hashanah, Malchus Zechronos and Shofaros. And a thin, silent voice shall be heard. And the angels shall be alarmed. Dread and fear shall seize them. And they will proclaim up in Shemayim. The day of judgment. Even the hosts of heaven shall be judged. Even the malachim, so to speak, are judged today. Kilo yizku, uh, for they too shall not be judged blameless by you. Um, and here all the, the famous nigunim that are sung by the chazanim. As we say this phrase, this comes from the mission in Rosh Hashanah, that every, every uh, person alive in the world passes before you like sheep. Before the shepherd, just like the shepherd passes them through one at a time to take a look at them and to inspect them. So too, 
So we pass through um, and you count and record the souls of all the living and then you decree a limit for each person's days and inscribe their final judgment. So this first paragraph describes what happens. We pass before him. You are the judge. You are aware. All of the, the book, the Sefer HaZichronos is open before you. The Malachim in heaven shudder when they think about that which is taking place. And then the, the second paragraph is explicit. The second paragraph is not for the faint of heart, which we are all familiar with. The Rosh Hashanah Yikasevun Rosh Hashanah, it is inscribed, and on Yom Kippur it is sealed. Kama Ya'avrun ve'kama Yibareyun. In sets of twos, as the the Hagat, the, the Machzor, how many will pass from this world, and how many will be created in the world? Mi Yichyeh u'mi Yamus. Who will live and who will die? Mi Vikitzo. Who in their set time after a ripe at a ripe old age, a full life, umilo and who not in their time, by water, by fire, by sword, wild animal, famine, batsama, thirst, by strangulation, who mi by stoning, who will be at peace, and who will be pursued? Mi shaketu, mi toraf, who will be serene, who will be tormented? Mi shalev, mi yaser, who will become, mi yeyaniu, mi yashir, who will become impoverished, who will become wealthy? Mi yushupalu, mi yarum, who will be exalted, and who will be lowered? And then, the, the big three that we conclude with, uchuva, utfilo, utstaka, ma'avirin, esroya, gezera, but the three things that we have, on our side, tshuva, tvila, davening, tzedakah, charity, ma'avir, and ezraya, gezera, can remove the evil of the decree. That is Usana Tokyo. If we're familiar, it's powerful in, in the moment, as you, uh, we read it again in, in, in English in the main shul. Um, you know, you say the words, you say the words, who by fire, who by water, who will live, who will die. All of us know, uh, you know, those who have been born, those who have passed on. And this is the day. This paragraph hammers home the significance of the day. It, 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 it makes a difference. This is the day in which the fate is sealed, the decree is said, as to what's going to happen over the course of the day. And we have tshuva, tefillah, and staka to be able to be ma'avir the roya gezeira. Before we get into a couple of the themes, there's a very, very famous story that goes along with these two paragraphs. Now, this was inserted in the, in the Machzor much later than the Anshe Knesset HaGadola, the men of the Great Assembly, gave us the actual Shmona Esrei, which is the essence of our Machzor. This was inserted into the uh, Machzor much later. There's a very, very famous story that goes, goes along with it. I say famous story because it's printed in the Art Scroll uh, Machzor. So while you're waiting for the chazan to finish all of his chazanas, it takes the chazan 30 minutes to read the two paragraphs that we just read in four minutes. So you're reading the mas. Everybody gets to, everyone at some point on some yamim no rum has read through the notes in the, uh, the machzor and has come across the story. But let's, let's take a look at this story. Um, it's the third page in your sheets. It's worth reading through. Uh, really, we should read it through phrase by phrase, Hebrew and English. Uh, the, the Hebrew has very, very many uh, biblical references. The phrases are very, very beautiful. Uh, but let's just read, we'll read the story. This story comes from the Or Zarua. The Or Zarua was written by Rabbi Yitzchak ben Moshe Vienna. 
It was uh, composed somewhere between 1240 and 1280. The dates are important here. Somewhere in the 13th century, which is when he lived, this Sefer was written. This very important Sefer, the Orzaru. It's quoted extensively by the Ramot, Ramosha Israelis, in Shulchan Aruch. It's the basis of many of our minhagim and halachas in the Ashkenazi world that came out of the lands of Ashkenaz, Germany, France, uh, during the Middle Ages. Um, and he quotes something that he saw in his opening line, I found a manuscript by Rebbe Ephraim of Bone. Now, Rebbe Ephraim of Bone is a Jew who lived from 1132 to 1196, meaning a Rebbe Ephraim had, had died before either the Orzero was born or certainly came of age and began uh, writing Svarim. Rebbe Ephraim lived the century prior, the 12th century in the 1100s, and Rebbe Ephraim of Bone uh, established himself as a historian of sorts. He lived through the Crusades and he recorded many of the incidents that took place for the Jews during the Crusade period, which is, of course, a horrible period of time for the Jewish communities of Ashkenaz. Um, and Rabbi Ephraim of Bone uh, was a rabbi, he was a writer, and he documented many of the massacres that took place during this particular time. The Orzarua, writing in the late 1200s, writes that he found a manuscript from a Ephraim of Bone who had established himself as a historian of sorts, which had been written, clearly, Rebbe Ephraim died in the late 1100s, a number of years, several decades, if not a full century earlier. And what did Rebbe Ephraim of Bone write about? So he tells us that Rebbe Ephraim of Bone writes about a Rebbe Amnon of Mainz. Mainz is one of the three major cities that we, we speak about Mainz in the, on Tisha B'Av that was uh, ransacked during the Crusades. There was a Jew by the name of Rebbe Amnon of Mainz who was Yossad. If uh, the language that is used in the first Hebrew paragraph, you see, Matsasi Michtav Yado Shel Rabbi Ephraim Iboyna Bar Yaakov, Shel Rabbi Amnon Mimagensa Yasad Unisana Tokev. How would you translate the word Yasad, the Nisana Tokev? Established, I will have to see exactly, established, uh, founded this tefillah of Nisana Tokev. Okay, so there are certain levels of this. This is being written by the Orzarua in the 1200s, that he found a manuscript from Rebbe Ephraim, and Rebbe Ephraim is telling over a story from this Rev Amnon of Mainz. And what's the story? Let's read it together. This is the story of what happened to Rebbe Amnon of Mainz, who was one of the great men of his generation, rich, of good family, handsome, well-formed. And the lords and archbishops began to demand that he convert to their religion. A common theme during the Crusader period, during the Middle Ages in general, that the Christians were trying to get the Jews to convert. And he refused to listen to them. Rav Amnon of Mainz would not entertain the idea of converting to Christianity. And it came to pass, after they had spoken to him day after day, he wouldn't listen to them, that the archbishop himself was urging him that one day, now that's a big deal, that the archbishop himself of the city should come and try to get you to convert. So that he said to them, let me think about it for three days. And as Rabbi Ephraim writes, he said that just to get, push him off, to get rid of them, that he wants to consider it over a three-day period of time. It came to pass that the moment that he had left the presence of the archbishop and took it to heart, that he had allowed a word of doubt to leave his lips, as though he needed to take counsel and thought to deny the living God, he couldn't believe that he even said such a thing. 
that he allowed the words out of his mouth, let me think about it for three days. He went home and he was sick. He wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink. All of his near ones and loved ones came to console him. If we really see, there are many phrases from Megillus Esther that he weaves into this story. But he refused to be consoled, which is from the story from Yaakov. And he said, I shall go down to my grave mourning because of what I said. He wept and was sad at heart. So he felt terrible about the whole thing. The third day comes and he's filled with such pain and anxiety that the archbishop sent for him because he didn't go. He stayed home. So the archbishop sends for him and he said, I shall not go. And his foe continued to send many ever more distinguished lords, which is from uh, Balak and Bilam. And Rabbi Amnon still refused to go to the archbishop. Then the archbishop said, bring him against his will immediately. So they hurried and brought him. And he said to him, what is this Amnon? Why have you not come to reply to me and do my desire at the end of the time you set for yourself? And Amnon said, I shall pronounce my own sentence. Let the tongue that spoke and lied to you be cut out. That I dared say, give me three days to think about this. Cut out my own tongue, Amnon said. For Rabbi Amnon wished to sanctify God because he had thus spoken. The archbishop said, no, 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 no. The tongue I will not cut out because the tongue has spoken well. When your tongue said, let me consider this. I'm going to cut off your feet, the archbishop said, because it was your feet that have disobeyed me by not coming. And then the rest of your body I shall punish as well. And the oppressor then commanded and they lopped off the fingers of Rabbi Amnon's hands and his feet. And at every finger they asked him, now will you be converted, Amnon? And Rabbi Amnon said, no. And it came to pass when they had finished lopping off all of his fingers that the wicked man, this archbishop, ordered Rabbi Amnon to be laid on a shield with all of his fingers at his side. And he sent him home. And he was rightly called Rabbi Amnon, the faithful one. For he had had faith in the living God and lovingly suffered severe afflictions simply because of one word he had spoken. That's the story with Rav Amnon. They send him home on like a shield. He's a dismembered body. His legs have been cut off. His arms have been cut off. His fingers have been dismembered. And he's uh, sent home. Sometime after these events, the days of awe approached. Rosh Hashanah arrived. Rabbi Amnon asked his relatives to bear him to the house of prayer just as he was, meaning, I guess, with his fingers laid out around him and to lay him down near the chazan, which they did. And it came to pass when the reader came to recite Kedusha that Rabbi Amnon said, Oh, wait, I need to sanctify the great name of God. And he cried in a loud voice, And thus may the sanctification ascend to you. That is to say, I have sanctified your name for the sake of your kingship and your unity. Today's Rosh Hashanah, the day of kingship. I've done it. I've sanctified your name. And afterwards he said, And we shall express the powerful sanctity of this day. Unisana Tokef. The power of this day. And he said, it is true that you are the judge and the arbiter, which is from the paragraph of Unisana Tokev, in order to justify the verdict and that those same fingers of his hands and feet might rise before God as well as the memory of the entire incident. And he said, and the seal of every man's hand is on it. Also a phrase from the Nisana Tokev that we just read. Each one of our seals, we give the testimony ourselves. And you remember the soul of every living thing. The paragraph from Unisana Tokev. 
for his fate was so decreed on Rosh Hashanah. When he had ended, his own end came and he vanished from the earth. He expired before the eyes of all, for God had taken him. And if him it is said, how abundant is thy, go- thy goodness, you've laid away this. The story then concludes three days after Rabbi Amnon had been called to the academy on high, meaning he had died and ascended to heaven. He appeared to Rabbi Kalanimus ben Rabbi Mishulam in a dream at night. And he taught him the poem which begins with, He taught him in the dream to Rabbi Kalanimus this paragraph. And he ordered him to send it to the all of the diaspora to be his testimony and remembrance. Vayas Hagoon Cain and Rabbi Kalanimus did so. These are the words as he concludes the Orzaruah, the end of his section on Hilchus Rosh Hashanah, the Orzaruah written in the 1200s, describing a manuscript he found that was written in the 1100s, which describes an event uh, undated with Rebbe Ephraim of, uh, uh, excuse me, Rebbe Ephraim wrote about this Rebbe Amnon of Mites. That's the story um, as it uh, goes. The story has, there's a lot to discuss about the story. The problem is, the problem is the historical veracity of the story is almost, almost zero that the story actually happened as it is told to us. Number one, there is no Rabbi Amnon of Mainz in record. We don't have any record anywhere of a Rabbi Amnon in, in Mainz. Um, the story does not record the name of the archbishop, so it's just a synonymous archbishop, archbishop in Mainz. And Rabbi Amnon is, Amnon is really an Italian name, um, and to be found in that, section of, uh, in that section of Germany at that particular time was unlikely. More importantly, when the Geniza, what the Cairo Geniza was discovered, we have this actual paragraph from Unisana Tokev dated back to the 800s was already part of the Machzor in the 800s. We have the the fragments of uh, most of this particular paragraph, so that it was not created in uh, 1200s, not in the 1100s. It's it's actually older than that. It's even from before that is the actual text of this particular particular story. Now, those are the historical facts. In, in some ways, Rabbi J.J. Schachter, uh, who is the source of much of the material from this particular share, pointed out, to him it was even strengthening. This is not an 1100s tefillah. This goes back even farther in history uh, in terms of the, the, the 500, 600s, 700s, where the actual tefillah of Unisana Tokev comes from. The story, as all stories go, convey messages. What was the message being conveyed to the Jews of the Middle Ages when the story is promulgated, the tefillah already existed. But when the story is promulgated, what's the message of this story to the Jews in the Middle Ages? If you're a Jew and you hear this story, we hear this story it's already in, in uh, you know, a thousand years later. What's the message of the story? What's being conveyed in this story? Watch your mouth. Well, watch your mouth, but more than just watch your mouth. In what sense? What, what was the issue that the Jewish community of medieval... Ashkenaz Europe is dealing with? What's, what's the threat to the Jewish community? A physical threat of crusades and conversion is the other threat, forced conversion and simply the fact that if you wanted to do anything in life, 
be successful, be well. Okay. What did you need to do in order to do that? You were converting. You were, that was the threat. And the, the, the theme, the message of the story is, when you hear the story that this Rebbe Amnon, whether he's an historical figure or a fictional figure, we don't have any record of him, but is, he, at some point he said, let me think about it. And then felt, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I even questioned that the, I spoke about Minchama, right? The, the idea of Arur Yakim es Azos. What does it mean to be Lakum, to keep it, to uphold it? To believe Moshe MS, Tairaso MS, the mitzvahs are true, they're eternal. And that means not questioning that maybe if you look at numbers, and we live in a democratic society, so we're used to thinking that the numbers is what determines how we should behave and how we should act. That doesn't always mean numbers are right just because the majority of a group thinks something. That doesn't mean they're right, it just means the majority of the group all thought that way. If you lived in Middle Ages, middle, medieval Europe, and you were trying to figure out whether or not the true religion was Judaism or Christianity, and you weren't a scholar, and you just were trying to figure it out, there's no question which one you would, you would, you would lean towards. Christianity had the numbers, had the power, it had the wealth, it had the armies, it, it had all of that. It, it had the corruption too, but, but it, it had all of the grandeur. What, what was the grandeur of the Jewish community at the time? Didn't, didn't have that. So there's a story here that's conveying the message of the sanctification of Hashem's name that he did. I can't even believe I, I thought that, that I said those words, cut out the tongue of the one who says it. And through stories, as we've always done throughout the centuries, through stories we convey ideals, we convey messages, we, con we convey values that we have. And this was the story that sprung up around this particular tefillah. Let's put that thought on hold for a minute and go back over some of the themes of the tefillah. We already pointed out when we read through it, the tefillah has the three major components of Rosh Hashanah. Malchios, Zichronos, Shofros. That's in the two paragraphs of the Nisan Tokef. Your kingship will be established. You remember everything. You open up the book of the remembrances and And on this day we have the idea of, uh, of judgment. There's another, the, when this tefillah was originally only said on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. The earliest machzor is where we find this tefillah. It was only said on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. And it was later extended to the second day of Rosh Hashanah. In the Polish machzorim, in the 14 and 1500s, the, it gets added to Yom Kippur. But it's clearly not a Yom Kippur original tefillah. It's all about Rosh Hashanah. Malchios, Zichronios, Zichronos, and Shofros. The aspect of Yom Kippur is that the second paragraph, that it, that's the end of the process. On Rosh Hashanah it's written, on Yom Kippur it's sealed, so it was eventually added to Yom Kippur. So we say it all three days, two days of Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, but it was originally only Rosh Hashanah, and then two days of Rosh Hashanah, and then it was added to Yom Kippur. But there's another very important component. How much of this, of either, anything of these two paragraphs focuses on a Jew or the world at large? There's nothing in, this, in these two paragraphs that's Jew-centric. Everything about these two paragraphs is about the universal nature of Rosh Hashanah. 
which is a theme that runs through the entire Machzor of Rosh Hashanah, which we spoke about in years past as we've gone through many of the tefillahs. Every Yimloch Hashem Li'olam, we want Hashem to be a Melech, Al Kol Ha'aretz, on the entire world. We are going to be your close people, but the kingship of Hashem is not limited only to us, but it's a universal tefillah. And we go through the Machzor, as we'll do soon, two weeks. Um, that theme, and it plays itself out in these two paragraphs. The, the whole world passes before you. The whole world is judged. Who by fire, all of those uh, languages, all the language that's in, in this paragraph is a universal language of the power and awesomeness of this uh, particular, uh, this particular day. The day of Rosh Hashanah, the Ran, uh, one of the early Rosh Hashanah, Ben Unisim, points out that we, this day of judgment that Hashem chooses, this day of judgment, Adam HaRishon was judged on this first day. He, he quotes a very long message how Adam was created on Friday afternoon um, and right away sinned. So the sixth day, uh, the day of his creation is the day of his sin and he emerges from his sin uh, with a favorable judgment given what the potential judgments could have been. And so this is a day that is determined for us, our day of judgment will. So we go into the day with a, a sense of a hope, of a favorable judgment that we'll come out with, but the, the day, the awesomeness, the power that's encompassed or expressed by this particular tefillah, which is the day of Rosh Hashanah uh, theme, um, is, is all included in that. So the story, again, just to get back to that, this, this, this story of this universal tefillah to the, in the period in which the story is promulgated of medieval Europe is a story of yearning for the whole world to recognize kinship, kingship, the whole world to be judged, and the, conviction, the, the sense of conviction that a Jew has of commitment to truth in the face of a world that screams the opposite. And that's a historical reality. Again, the tefillah historically we have way before the story ever could have, could have happened. But that, this was the story that was built up around it. It's quoted by the Or Zerua from this Rebbe Ephraim of Bohm. Um, and, and the tefillah, again, it's almost like separate. Like the tefillah itself is the tefillah. And the story that arose from it is a story that highlights the significance of, uh, of the day and the conviction that a Jew is trying to achieve on... Uh, on Rosh Hashanah. One final point just on this uh, tefillah is the last line, the line that we scream out uh, in shul, tshuva utfila utstaka ma'avir nesroya gezeira. Uh, Rabbi Shachter, Rabbi J.J. Shachter points out that the language that we use here is a very interesting one. We do not say ma'avir nesagzeira causes the decree to be eradicated, to be removed. Ma'avirin es roa hagezeira. The evilness of the decree should be removed. And uh, again, uh, in Jews throughout history, and until today, have lived through some pretty atrocious times in Jewish history, uh, pretty bloody times. And uh, even individual Jews throughout life, even in periods of general calm, have troubles. There's no such thing as a... uh, as a community, a family that doesn't know from difficult times. And yet we say, like, I, I did it. I, I did tshuva, I did stuck, I did feel. How could it be uh, that we still have all of these problems? And so there's the, the, the machzer 
doesn't say that these three things are a guarantee that life will be perfect always. There are many other factors that go into the judgments beyond this. But what the Machzor points out, and this is really based on the Gemara that says uh, these three things, it's interesting, it just historically, to, it, uh, just as a, as a historical side point before we conclude with this thought, Rabbi Shakti points this out as well, the Gemara in the, in the uh, Talmud Bavli actually says there are four things that we have to be ma'avir nezroyag zeira. Tshuva, tefillah, tzedakah, and shinui maisev, shinui hashem. One can change their deeds and change their name. There's a, you put that together as one big thing. There's something else you can do is you can change your behaviors. The Yushalmi, the Yushalmi only has three. The Yushalmi lists these three, tshuva, tefillah, and tzedakah. So many commentators ask why the machzor ignores what the Gemara says in Talmud Bavli that adds the fourth and only goes with the three from the Yushalmi. Rabbi Shakti, who's a historian himself, points out, since this was actually written much earlier than medieval uh, Europe, it was written five, six, seven hundreds, and it was believed to be composed by a uh, Jewish poet, Talmud Chacham, named Yanai, who composed a number of our tefillahs, who lived in Eretz Yisrael. So Yanai, in the five, six hundreds, when this was composed, living in Eretz Yisrael, would have followed, not the Talmud Bavli, but the Talmud Yerushalmi. The Talmud Yerushalmi only had three. The Gemara there only listed these three. It's the Bavli that adds the fourth. It's just another sort of uh, proof that this likely came from uh, Yanai, which was written much earlier, um, and therefore would have been following the Yerushalmi. But either way, either way we conclude this paragraph with what we have, uh, our ability of tshuva, tefillah, and staka. Those three things have the ability to temper as roya hagzeira, the severity of the decree, the evilness of the decree. The decree itself, again, there are factors beyond our control. It's one of the things that we acknowledge on Rosh Hashanah. You are the melech, you are the judge, you are the witnesses, you, you are everything, Hashem. And we, who knows? We can't fathom the ways of the, how you run the world. But you've given us the tools to temper them to somehow give us an ability to get through a little bit easier. And, uh, and who knows um, the power of our tshuva, tefillah, and staka has in whatever it is that happens, but no one ever knows what could have happened or what might have happened or what the xera was supposed to have been had it not been for our ability of tshuva, tefillah, and staka. So those are some thoughts uh, on this very powerful uh, uh, tefillah. I always recommend, uh, as I've said, we, again, in the main show, we read it in English, but I recommend everyone should, should, it's always important to understand what we say, but these are, uh, the words are very moving. And just to conclude and wrap it up with where we started, the day is a complicated day because we go from Musaf and saying these words to having a Yantav meal at home with family and friends. And it's a totally different environment. Then you come back to Shul and then you go back to another meal and then back at Shul a second day. It, it, there are, it's a complex day with both of those things. And that's how we experience the day. We celebrate the coronation of Hashem. We celebrate the idea that we're privileged to be of the group of people in the world to recognize the truth of Hashem's kingship, to be able to say, Hashem Melech, Hashem Melech, Hashem Yimloch, Yilam Vahed. And at the same time that we know how privileged you are to say that, recognizing, serious day. It's a day of judgment. It's a day that Hashem sits on His throne and decides what's going to be. And so we, we do both. Can't sing Shira, you can't sing Hallel when you know that the books of life and death are open. 
But we want to, we wish we could, because it's a day to coronate Hashem as king, and that's a great joy that we have to be able to do so. And so uh, this helps us, uh, this is certainly this paragraph, these two paragraphs are, are weighted towards the side of the, uh, the, the fear and trembling of the day, but they are both uh, significant parts of the day. It should be a good day, meaningful day, successful day of tefillah, tshuva, and staka for uh, all of us.